Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If the Bible tells you, gird up the loins of your mind, it's like, reach down and grab a hold of your robe and tuck it in. Because it's time to get to work, that's what it's saying. Gird up your loins whenever you read that in the scriptures. It's, it's pull it together, guys. Come on, get ready. Get out and do the work God's called you to do. Gird up the loins of your mind. 1 Peter is a very get-right-down-to-business letter, reminding us that we are in a real battle, and that battle happens in our minds. How do we not only remain victorious, but live holy so we can be a powerhouse for God's kingdom while we wait for Jesus? We're diving into one of the meatiest verses in 1 Peter as we study what it means to gird up the loins of our mind. Here's Robert Furrow with 1 Peter, verse 13. Father, we want to thank you again for the time of communion that we've been able to take together. And we pray your Holy Spirit now would fall upon us. We open up our lives to you. We surrender all to you. You are everything to us. And we want to live for you. Forgive us when we get wrapped up in our own worlds. Forgive us when we forget that we really want to see you move in our lives. And we pray for our friends and family and coworkers, those who are around us that don't know you. And you are in us. And we are then taking you to a lost and dying and perishing world. You've said that you don't light a candle to put it under a basket. You haven't made us the light of the world to hide us away, but that we would be seen. And so we pray as we look at what Peter says here about our conduct and how we are supposed to live because of who we are, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We'd walk away tonight with a great understanding of what the passage is saying. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Verses 1 through 12 in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 in the book of 1 Peter, tell us who we are in Christ. It tells us what Christ has done for us and who we are and what our position is. And if you remember, we've done this for a couple of weeks now in this chapter, and we've seen that there are some heavy, deep, truths that we have found so far about who we are in Christ and what we are really about. First Peter chapter one reminds me of Ephesians chapter one. Only Ephesians may even be a little bit higher, loftier in what it speaks of. Ephesians tells us that we have been given all riches that are available for us on earth and in heavenly places. God has given us every riches in our lives. And God wants to do so much in us. And, and I shouldn't even say God wants to do so much for us. God already has. I'm persuaded that if we understood in the spiritual realm who we were, where we stand before Christ, our authority that we have here on the earth, and what we have been called to do, the grandness of who we are in Christ, and the grandness of the call that we have, I am persuaded that we would live differently. And I believe that the enemy's goal is to get you to not understand the grandness of who you are and what you are called to do. And so God has given us these letters by these apostles that help us to understand the importance of who we are 
And for 1 Peter chapter 1, it's that we are sojourners. We're just passing through here. We're not to get too involved. We're not to get caught up and bogged down in the mud and the clay. Some of us have gotten stuck. It's just time to get a tow truck in, get pulled out, call a friend over, have them pull you out, get back on the road, and understand this is all going to burn. This is all going to perish. And what really matters is ahead of us. Well, in the first section... He speaks of who we are and that we are to rejoice in our salvation. And you may remember that's where we ended last week. We were to rejoice in our salvation because the prophets, not knowing what they were writing about, wrote about our salvation. And then we ended, and you can look at it there in the end of verse 12. It says, things which angels desire to look into. You know the things that angels desire to look into? Your salvation. That's the topic. The prophets wrote about our salvation and they didn't understand that they weren't writing about things about themselves, but they were writing about us, the things that we would go through. And that angels, God hasn't let all the angels in on what he's doing with you and me. And I am persuaded that when the angels see us moving around, doing things and making mistakes and blowing it, and then maybe getting it right and being used by him and the gospel going around the world, that the angels are still scratching their head and going, I don't know what God's doing. God has chosen to use us to reveal his glory to a lost, dying, perishing world. And the angels long to look into it. They're still trying to get it. They're still trying to figure it out. And I'll guarantee you, if the end of verse 12 is true, things which angels desire to look into, then I'll guarantee you that you don't got it all either. And I don't have it all. There's nobody. There's certainly people that present themselves as understanding everything. I understand every scripture, every passage. I understand everything about God and anything you want to know. Just ask me. I'll tell you. I'm persuaded we know very little. God is so amazing, so transcendent, so far above us that we just, we just don't understand all that he's doing. And we're going to be amazed when we see that God has chosen us and how much of his glory we have taken around the world in the days in which we have, have sojourned on this earth and how God has chosen us to rescue people from the very gates of hell. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to understand and to live the way we're supposed to. And so after speaking of this salvation that we are to rejoice in, the salvation written of by the prophets and the salvation desired to be looked into by angels, he then says, therefore. And now there's a switch. It's, it's now, this is how you should live. Because these things are true about you, this is the way you should live. He doesn't start the book by saying, you should live this way so these things couldn't be true about you. That's still the way we think. We think, if I could just go to a church every service for a month, if I could read my Bible every day for a month, if I could sing a praise song on my way to work every day for a month, then I'd be this shining example of a Christian. Then I'd be the person God wants me to be. Then God could use me. You don't understand. You're already that person. You don't have to do that for a month. You're already that person. Because you're that person, you ought to be gathering together with God's people. Because you're that person, you ought to be seeking God and what he would do and how he would move and what he would work and how he would work in the lives of those that are around you. Because you're that person, you ought to close your eyes and lift up your hands and praise and worship the living God because of who you are in Christ. That's his point. A lot of weight there on that therefore, isn't it? 
Therefore, because you're this person, you're rejoicing in your salvation, and this is what all the prophets wrote about, and angels long to look into it. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, right away, we have some old-fashioned talk. Right away, it's really easy for us to get lost. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? Well, to gird up meant, remember, the days that the, the Bible is written, people didn't wear blue jeans. They didn't wear khakis. They had no pants. They wore dresses. Everybody wore dresses. For the guys, they were called robes. And for the girls, they were called robes. I'm sure they had feminine-looking robes and masculine-looking robes, but everybody wore dresses. And when you had to go out and work, you gals know this, a dress can get in the way, right? Us guys don't know that, right, guys? I'm hoping none of you guys (laughs) understand and know that. Us guys don't know that. So they would turn their robes into shorts. They would have a, some would say a sash, but they would have a belt. They'd have a belt tied on. They would reach down and grab the robe from the bottom and pull it up and then tuck it into their belt. And that was called girding up their loins. You took it, you tucked it in and you girded up your loins. Now you had your shorts on. (laughs) You were ready to go out in the field and start working. You could move. You were free to move. Things didn't get in the way. In other words, If the Bible tells you, gird up the loins of your mind, it's like, reach down and grab a hold of your robe and tuck it in. Because it's time to get to work. That's what it's saying. Gird up your loins whenever you read that in the Scriptures. It's it's pull it together, guys. Come on. Get ready. Get out and do the work God's called you to do. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind ready. Get your mind around this. Understand who you are and understand that there's work to be done and you have work to do because of who you are in Christ. Don't let your mind go down roads that shouldn't go. Don't let your mind go down paths that shouldn't go. We could probably spend the rest of our study today talking about our mind. The Bible says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You can bring your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. When Satan tempted Eve, the battleground was her mind. The first thing he said to her was, has God said you can't eat of any of the trees that are in the garden? He attacked her mind. Has God said you can't eat any of the trees of the garden? What had God said? Of every tree that is in the garden you may eat, but of the one tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat of that one. Satan shows up and says, can you eat of any of these trees that are in the garden? He immediately questions the goodness of God. He questions the provisions of God. He makes it sound like God is holding something back from them. And that's the same thing that Satan does to us. God has given us freely all things to enjoy, the Bible says. That sounds a lot like what God said to Eve. Of all of the trees that are in the garden, you may freely eat. God has given us all things to freely enjoy. If you were to spend the rest of your lives enjoying the things that God has given you to freely enjoy, you could never do all of the things that God has given you. But God said, but of those things in the middle of the garden, don't eat them. And Satan stands by the tree and says, what about this? Has God said you can't have anything? Yeah, we can't have nothing. And Eve immediately steps into it. 
Remember, it's her mind that's being attacked. And so Eve immediately says, well, God has said that we can eat of all the trees in the garden. That's good. She got that right. The rest of it she gets wrong. God had said that we can eat of all the trees that are in the garden, but she didn't say freely eat. God said of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat. She said, God said of the trees of the garden, we can eat. She made God's provision less gracious by taking the word freely out of it. And then she said, but of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God has said that you shall not touch it or eat it lest you die. Well, she did three things wrong there. Number one, God never said she couldn't touch it. God said of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, don't eat it. So she said, we can't eat it or touch it. She could have went up and touched the fruit. I don't know why she would have. It probably would have made it more tempting, but she could have. She could have hung upside down in the tree if she wanted to. She does nothing about touching it, but not to eat it. And then she said, lest we die. Now, the word lest is might, because we might die. Is that what God told her? God's word to her or to Adam, first of all, who gave it to Eve. So some people blame Adam for a bad translation to Eve. Maybe, by the way, I'm not saying that can't be the case, but the Bible doesn't say. Uh, so Eve says, we can't eat it, touch it, or we might die. God said his word given to her was, eat freely of all the trees that are in the garden, but of the tree that is in the middle of the garden in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God's word was that death is going to come into the earth if you, if you do it. And the Bible says that she saw that fruit, that it was good for food, that it was desirable to make one wise, and that it was good to, to look at, and she took it and she ate it. And took it to Adam, and Adam ate it. And we don't know all that was going on in the mind of Adam at this point. When Eve handed him the fruit, all we know is what was going on in Eve's mind. But the battleground was her mind, and she gave in because she didn't stick to the word of God. She was allowed to be taken away and to be persuaded into a heresy that isn't true. Well, you can't eat all the trees. Well, you, you touch it. You might die. Satan had said to her, you surely will not die. He even changed God's word. He denied God's word. That's the battlefield of, the, of, of temptation. That's the battlefield of sin for us. Satan says, oh, you do that and nothing's going to happen. God says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. See, so he says, you won't reap it. Don't worry about it. You're right. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. By the way, when um, Satan tempted Jesus, he did the same thing. It's interesting to look at the similarities between the temptation of Eve and the temptation of Jesus. When Satan shows up to Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. Use the power that you have for the work of the gospel for your own means, for your own end. Have you ever wondered what was wrong? He hadn't eaten 40 days and 40 nights. What was wrong with him turning a stone into a loaf of bread and eating it? Because he would have been using the very power that God gave him to redeem the world for his own personal interests. Jesus wasn't Mary Poppins. Do you remember in the movie? You guys remember it? Who was the gal? Was it, it was Dick Van Dyke and... Julie Andrews, thank you. Right? Is that right? Okay. So Mary Poppins, she's inside. She's standing by the stairs. She pops her umbrella open and she floats up the stairs. Now, why does she do that? She's tired. <laughs> she doesn't want to walk up the stairs. It's too much work to walk up the stairs. She wants to show off. I have an umbrella and I can fly. 
Therefore, I'm going to fly to the top of the stairs. The temptation was that Jesus would, like, like Mary Poppins, use her power to make things more convenient, to get out of the, the situation he was in and to turn the rock into bread. And Jesus said, now Jesus did the opposite of what Eve did when Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, God said that we get our real strength and our real truth from the word of God. And I don't have to turn this rock into bread. I don't have to use this power for my own ends and my own means. We could go on along those lines. But I think the point is made. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Pull pull it together. Stop letting Satan catch your mind on fire. The Bible says that we're to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, our feet prepared with the gospel, the shield of faith which puts out the fiery darts of the enemy and the sword of the spirit and stand and pray and stand. The shield of faith puts out the fiery darts of the enemy. The fiery darts. I was years ago, I was doing prison ministry every, I don't know, Thursday night or something. And I went in and one of the prisoners got up and said, it was a time of prayer. We're getting ready to pray for them. One of the prisoners got up and said, I really need your prayers because uh, the enemy just keeps shooting his diary farts at me. We all just busted up and, no, that's fiery darts. And um, both might be just as bad, but um, the fiery darts of the enemy. Why does he shoot fiery darts at you? What is he hoping to do accomplish by shooting fiery darts at you? If he were shooting arrows at you, we could be pretty sure he's going for the vitals. If the Bible said that the shield of faith is able to protect you from the arrows of the enemy, then we could say, look, Satan's shooting at your heart. He's shooting, he's trying to kill you. He wants to get you through the lungs. He wants to kill you. It's a vital area that is going to kill you. But it doesn't say that. It says to put out the fiery darts. If you're an archer and you have a fiery arrow, you're not aiming at people. You're aiming at I'm going to go all the way back, like, you know, hundreds of years. You're aiming at the thatched roofs over the walls, right? You're, you're aiming at the, the wagons that are turned on their side. You just want that arrow to hit something and catch it on fire. That's all you're hoping for. And so what Satan does with you is he pulls back a little arrow and he shoots it at you into your mind. What did your wife mean by that? What did the pastor mean when he said that? well, I'm not going back to that church anymore. The pastor said this or this or this. How many times, and maybe even right now, has your mind been caught on fire? Satan wants you to forget about it, but he shoots those little fiery darts. And I've known men who cannot get away from them. It's like their mind is consumed with a certain topic or subject. They just, their marriage is shambles in a mess because they just can't break away from the fiery darts of the enemy. It is the shield of faith that puts out the fiery darts. Gird up your mind because of who you are in Christ. All the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, because of this is true about you, then gird up your mind, the loins of your mind. Get serious. Understand the work that's supposed to be done. And be sober. And sober there doesn't mean sober as in not drunk, although I'm sure it applies but to be sober-minded, to understand the seriousness of our call. I love that you and I have great joy. 
I love that even back in verse 6 of 1 Peter, it says, In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are grieved by various trials. In this have great joy. And he's talking about our salvation. Have great joy in your salvation, even if you're grieved by various trials, if need be, for a while. I'm, I'm glad that, that we can have fun. I'm glad that we have joy. The Bible says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Man, how people miss out on what real Christianity is about. Did you get that? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said in a similar manner, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. There's so much that God wants to do for you. So many blessings that he wants to bring you. So we are to have joy for sure. We, I, I love that we gather together here. And we have a good time. I love that we laugh and that we learn the word of God together and we can see where it applies and what it means to have a good time doing it. But also there's a seriousness to our study. There's a soberness to it. That this is important that people's lives are on the line and that the lives of the people that are on the line are the lives of the people that you and I know who don't know Christ. The call that we have, the purpose, because of who we are, we are to gird up the loins of our mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And once again, I'm blown away at the depth of the Word of God written by Peter in this book. What depth in this, this verse? Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Let's just start with the hope. Rest fully on the hope of the grace. The Bible says, now there is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And you can find books written about love. I've probably taught more messages on love than any other because for years, I don't do marriages anymore. I don't, I don't do weddings anymore. Uh, but for years, I did a wedding a week, maybe a, a, a couple weddings every week for years until I was completely burned out on them and decided I ain't doing them no more. <laughs> I'm done. But I gave a message on love at every one of them. There's books written on love. There's messages given on love. There's books written on faith and there's messages given on faith. But I don't know how many messages we hear on hope or how many books you can find on hope. You know what hope is? Hope is the surety of eternity. I have my hope in Christ and because of that, it affects the way I live today. If my hope was not in Jesus, if my hope was in well, you know what? When I die, I'm just going to perish. Then I would be a better get all you can out of your life today if there's nothing beyond this life. So our hope is in Christ. We hope for the future. We hope for our future lives here. We hope for our children. We hope for our parents. We hope for eternity. All of that is our hope. And you got to have hope. A life without hope. If you're here today and you're hopeless, it's a sad state to be in. And when I find a person who is hopeless, I find that I seek God for them fervently. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.